Join Jessica Smith on the Like a Girl podcast, where she defies odds, shares inspiring stories, and empowers women to embrace their inner leaders. Tune in for a transformative journey. So I'm living in this basement apartment near my sister's home, and I'm paying my own bills. I'm excited. I see a bright future. I knew that this guy that I was seeing was not the one. So I really wasn't seeing him very much and I was more focused first and foremost on work. Uh, But I allowed Mr. Manning to convince me to give it another shot. And I won't go into a lot of details, but I knew I was crazy to even consider it after what we had been through. There had been a lot of things that he had done that I hadn't really forgiven him for. And it wasn't the character of the person I would want to raise my son. But I was an adult, right? And I and I said, okay, let's give this another shot. So I bought him a bus ticket. I picked him up after work downtown Chicago at the bus station, brought him back to my apartment and we talked and he just expressed that he was just really sorry for how everything went down and he, he just wanted to do better for our family. And I think he really meant it in his heart. And that day is when I really forgave him. And all I could think about was despite the awful things that he had done, I had, you know, I played a part in it and I did things that I wasn't proud of and I justified it because it was, he did it first. But ultimately, I don't know because he never really opened up to me about his childhood or any trauma, but Today, after many years of therapy and a master's in psychology, I know now that he was a very sick man. And even though I could not articulate that at the time, I knew in my heart that he needed help and that he was 
truly sorry for the things that he did. And in the moment that I was able to forgive him because I thought about not too long before that, sitting on the floor crying, thanking God that he gave me the opportunity despite all of the awful things that I done and the decisions I had made, he forgave me. And then in that moment, as I told him, I forgive you, I said, and now I have to take you back to the bus station. And he's like, what? Like, what the hell are you talking about? And I said, this is not going to work. I do not want to continue in this relationship. We have to move forward. He's like, well, what the hell did I come here for? Where did I just get on the bus, leave everything and come here to turn around and go back? And I said, I'm sorry, I, I guess so, but I... For once in my life, I am listening to the voice in my head, that gut, that instinct that says, do this. For once, I have to listen to it. He said, okay. And that was, I won't say the last day that, I saw him, but that was the end of our relationship and or any conversations about continuing our relationship. Now, back at work, I'm excited. When I walk through that door every day to work. I've just, I've never been more excited to be somewhere. At this point, I am just so excited. I'm in this manager role because let's say I was at the right place at the right time. They had no choice and no one else to do it. So there I was. Also, I had a goal that I had set with the previous manager, the husband and wife that had left. Remember, we had set goals for the next five years. And one of my goals was to be a salesperson. And, you know, I I don't know if they really believed that much into me as far as if, if they believed that I could do that. I think they knew that there was something in me and they were grooming me to be a leader and I was a good telemarketer and I, you know, was able to speak well over the phone and all of that good stuff. But I remember asking, I don't understand why all of these salespeople have these fancy degrees. I mean, we had people with degrees from top schools, University of Michigan, like, and I noticed that all of the salespeople, that was a requirement. 
And when I asked that question, they said, well, our clientele, our, our members are spending thousands of dollars. Like this isn't your Costco Sam's Club membership. So if you think about like a high-end country club, but for homeowners that are remodeling or refurnishing, chances are these are an upper class that is our customer base. And I, I don't remember exactly how the explanation came to me, but I remember thinking basically what she's saying is someone like me that is uneducated from the hood is not going to be able to have a meaningful conversation with these people. It was a high pressure sales environment. You meet someone, you small talk, they go through a sales presentation and before they leave, they have to hand you over a credit card for thousands of dollars. You're not going to be able to do that. Again, it wasn't it wasn't said that way to me, but but that's how I but that's how I took it. But that made me want it even more. And the more I was in that environment, and I remember when the sales presentations were going on, I would go out and get coffee or get water and walk around and listen to the conversations that were being had, sat through sales presentations. And I came up, I, I came to the conclusion that there is nothing happening here that I need a college degree for. I can do this. I want to do this. So that was one of my goals. So I reached that goal. And I believe there was more. And every time I reached a goal, the owner and I would sit down and make another goal and make another goal and make another goal. And if the goal was something that was too big, he didn't say, oh, well, that's not going to happen. He said, well, that's a far jump from where you are today. Maybe there could be a smaller goal in between here and there. And we set a smaller goal. And he said, what's the craziest dream that you could have? Think of a goal that is just unbelievable to you. And I said, well, I, I think it's the good old American dream. I want to own a home. I had never said that in my life. I never thought about that. And he said, okay, when do you want to do that? And I said, by the time I'm 25. He said, I think you can do it by the time you're 23. It may not be a big fancy home, but you got to start somewhere. And homes are a great investment. Okay. And I wrote that down. So I am working like six, seven days a week now. But it doesn't feel like work because I love it and I'm good at it. And other than the owners, I'm like running the place. 
things that are happening in the call center. I'm training people. I'm hiring people. This is, this is cool. So I remember getting off of work, probably working throughout the week until late Saturday night. And I was just bored. And again, thirsty. That's what I call it now. Just just thirsty for attention. And against my better judgment, I end up calling the guy that I decided the writing was on the wall that we should stop here. Yeah, that one. Uh, hey, you want to hang out? Sure. And I swear it feels like, as I remember it, that it was a week later. Now, I know it wasn't, but that's what it feels like. It was a week later. He shows up with all of his clothes. I'm like, uh, what are you doing? Well, I don't have anywhere to go. He says, I lost my place. You lost your place. Yeah, I lost my place and I won't be here long, but it, I got to stay here. I have nowhere else to go. That's how the conversation went. Now, this guy doesn't have, like, a job. So, it's not like he's getting up every day and going to work. He's got whatever money in his pocket that he's hustling. But sooner than later, I would figure out that he has, not only is this the guy that I knew, okay, he he's deep in a lot of things that I don't want to be involved in. But then I figured out that he was a heroin addict. And this was like, for me and the... Burden that I have carried. Because at this time, my mom is still out there. She's still out there getting high, and I'm just praying for many times. I'm going different places, knocking on the door, asking if she's there. I never stopped chasing my mother, hoping that that would be the day. That was one of my biggest motivations other than Jonathan is I would I would visualize one day knocking on one of those doors and my mom coming out and me telling her 
I got somewhere for you to go and get clean. Come on. Let's go. I got you. That was always a vision that I had. And it felt like the walls were just closing in on me when I figured out that this man now living in my house is a heroin addict. I had a goal with a time stamp to go and get Jonathan. And again, that voice is telling me, don't go and get him. He's fine where he's at. This is not the situation that you want to bring him into. But I miss my baby. So I went and got him. And I brought him back. I'll figure it out. Well, only a few months went by and this relationship has now become abusive. And I'm like, okay, so I went and got this kid from his granny's where he was doing great. She loves him so much. He's got a good home. Couple years have passed now, and I'm like, I miss him. I want him here with me. This is a goal that I have, but I can't just check the box. I got to do this right. So I took him back. Now, the good thing is Chicago, Kentucky, it's not a far drive, and I can go and see him anytime I want, but I'm working a lot. So it was almost like I was living a double life. I started to make a name for myself. When I think about Jessica Manning, I remember Mr. Manning always asking me, so when are we going to get a divorce? So when are we going to file for a divorce? And I think he thought that I was hanging on for some reason, which, again, we after that day, we, we really didn't talk like that anymore. But I remember feeling like I'm actually proud of who I am. See, when I think back, of being in school and 
you meet someone that knew seventh grade Jessica, eighth grade Jessica, ninth grade Jessica, they probably would not have the most positive things to say. And rightfully so. I did a lot of stupid things, made a lot of bad decisions. We know that. And the name Jessica Aviles, not such a great brand. But Jessica Manning has broken records, works hard, has done things that no one's been able to do in this company before. People are calling me, asking me, well, how did you do this? And how did you do that? Jessica Manning is a name that I was proud of. And so at some point in a humble, but maybe not so humble way, I used to say, would Michael Jordan just up and change his name? No. And so I just never went through the process. So years, years, legally, I was still married. Now I know I could have gotten a divorce and kept my name. I didn't even think that much into it. And I also did not know at the time anything about a brand or image or exposure, any of these theories that now we know about. I didn't know about any of that, but that's what I was doing. I was building a brand, but here's the biggest difference. I built a brand based on 100% performance only. That's a different show. But for once in my life, I was actually proud of my name and what I was doing and how I brought value and how people actually wanted to learn from me. The other side of that life was at home. Now I felt at peace with Jonathan going back and I set a new goal with a new date. Because at home, things were not so great. And I was not so proud of who I was. Now I won't make it more traumatic than it was. I didn't get beat every day or punched in the eye and probably only because then I would have a black eye going to work and there would be consequences. But it it was it was bad. Not only dealing with someone who was a heroin addict, but I remember one particular time after he had moved in, 
where he had left that evening and one of his jobs was that he worked security and selling drugs in one of the project buildings in Chicago. And I remember being woken up at maybe like six o'clock in the morning. And I looked up and he was full of blood. And I thought that he was bleeding. And I'm like, oh my God, have you have you been shot? What happened? How did you? And then he went on to tell me that wasn't his blood. At this point, I'm like, I don't want to know anymore. I'm going back to sleep. And I just closed my eyes. And that day I started this prayer. I shared a lot of my prayers with people because we underestimate the power of prayer. There is, there's no coincidence that the things that I prayed for eventually would happen. And I never gave up. It, I, ne- I never got angry and said, Lord, why aren't you answering my prayers? I don't know why, but I didn't. I just knew to pray. I knew he already knew my situation. But I knew to ask him. And I closed my eyes that day, that morning, and I said, Lord, I just asked for forgiveness. I don't know how I got here. But I know I don't deserve to be here. I don't want to be here. And I need you. I need you to find a way and make a way. And if you would, Lord, I will never look back. As lonely as I get, as bored as I am, as thirsty as I might be, I will never look back. I just need you to help me get out of this. See, in my mind, it wasn't just as easy as some people thought it was. If I had shared with anyone what I was going through in this relationship, it would seem that the easy way to go is just to part ways and tell him to leave. This is not the guy that you just ask to leave. It's just not. Not only is he mentally unstable with 
a chemical imbalance, taking medication, a heroin addict, so he is physically dependent on getting high every day. But this is also someone who is violent, who has a spirit of anger and violence in them. Not the guy you just asked to, nicely asked to leave your home. So I felt stuck. And I was just embarrassed. I felt like I had grown a lot how with all of the things that I had learned at this point and all the things that I was exposed to, I know that this is not right for me. I know this is not the environment I want my son in. How did I get here? And I was just embarrassed, totally embarrassed. I remember one evening him asking me for money to get high, and I said, no, I'm not. I don't have it. I'm not doing it. I was just fed up. I said, no. Next thing you know, I had a gun to my head. And he said, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. I ended up having to go to the ATM at gunpoint and emptying my checking account to give him the money to get high. About a week later, he comes back, he hands me the money, and he said, see, here's your money back. I was sick, and you wouldn't help me. It was always my fault, and it was always because I wouldn't help him get high that I found myself being choked or being grabbed or slammed up against the wall. Do you know I never, in all the years, this went on for, I want to say maybe two or three years, I never showed up late for work. I never entered that door without a smile. I never did not give it 110%. It really felt like a double life. Thank you for tuning in to another insightful episode of Lead Like a Girl. We hope you found today's podcast valuable. If you enjoyed our podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on your preferred platform. Your feedback is crucial in helping us continue to provide high-quality content. If you found the content inspiring, we would like to encourage you to share this podcast with your network. Stay tuned for more inspiring stories and leadership insights on Lead Like a Girl. Until next time, lead with passion and purpose.